Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Gosh, I love my church. <laughs> it's full of bad people. <laughs> uh, you'll notice uh, we have a number of people who feel the call of God on their life, and they'll be setting up tables and uh, have information and pamphlets. Uh, today we have Nadine Bergen set up out there and she's going to be going off to China for a year's time and she's raising funds to do so uh, regarding missions. And we, I really want to encourage you to uh, at least take some time, talk. Uh, not only does she need our prayers, if you're able to give financial support, um, we want you to pour into the lives of people from our community as well as all the other missions we do. And so talk to her, read her newsletter. Pray about it, and if this is something that God is calling you to do, I really uh, encourage you to step forward in that. Let's pray before we get started. God, your spirit calls us from many places, and some of us come from busy homes with many people, like myself, and yet also some of us live alone. The fact is, though, we are all part of the family. And this week has been different for each one of us, and some of us have happy news and we want to celebrate. Some of us, we face grief and we need comforting. And yet we are each members of your family. And we all come to this place, and I, I believe our desire is to seek your presence in our lives. And all of us are seeking your presence, and we're doing it together. And we're also seeking to work and to rest in the presence of our Creator together. And together we become God's family and we worship in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may you open our ears, our spiritual ears today. And may everything thought, everything spoken, and everything felt be blessed by you. Yeah, a lot of times on Father's Day, dads get a rat, bad rap or, you know, we get scolded that we need to be better, especially from the pulpit. This morning, I salute all you men and all you fathers. We know we're bad dads anyway. We don't need to reaffirm it anyhow. So mixed messages, you know those of which I speak. Young people, a friend tells you that she just wants to remain just friends. You with me? And then she proceeds to call you every day, text messages you twice a day, and expresses how much she misses you on a regular basis. Is that not mixed messages? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that sometimes society around us or people around us are sending one thing, but it's coming out another way? And, uh, you know, we're getting mixed messages about what, you know, makes life worthwhile, especially as we start going through the scriptures here. You know, what are the things that truly make us happy? Uh, the world is holding out things like wealth and status and power and popularity, and Jesus is telling us, when, you know, we've walked through this so far, he says, the poor are blessed. He says that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. He says that it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth and, and that we're also supposed to bless those who persecute us. And uh, you, you talk about mixed messages of what's going on and how do we filter this. And if, it's as if we're all living a life that's torn really between two worlds. And in fact, we are as believers. And as Jesus now continues on in the Sermon on the Mount, we just pick it up here in uh, chapter 6, verse 19. He, he goes on, he says, Don't store up 
uh, treasures here on earth, where moth and rust eat the, or rust, moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will be. Now again, this is a great passage of scripture. I could preach on giving, right? We can go there, we can talk about money. I really like that. Um, I want to just share something with you on a little aside. We're in the process, and hopefully this is going to go through, and so you can pray about this. Um, on Tuesday, a group is going to be meeting and voting uh, as to whether or not they're going to bring their bridge club. I don't, I, I don't know what bridge is. I understand it's a card game, devil's cards. And uh, they're going to be bringing it here, and they're going to be renting our facility. In that process, they're prepared to front the money for us to put a lift in the building. So add to that a real sweet monthly rental on top of it. So uh, it's just a win-win for us as a community to serve the community. Yesterday I'm driving down Lindenwoods and I see the school. I think it was Linden Meadows School. And on the sign it says Kenzie Cause, which is a fundraiser for cancer of this young little girl who passed away. But they, they, they've rented from us for three years. And then underneath it says Soul Sanctuary. And I'm just going, you can't pay for this advertising. So, you know, here we are as a community church and making a difference in opening up our facility. And uh, I'd just like to encourage you in that process is to keep us in prayer. Um, this is where we are. See, the world tells us to get things, right? The world tells us to get more and more things. In fact, it tells us to extend this thinking even in our relationships as well. You know, we swallow that lie when you think about it, and we try to burn the candle at both ends. That's what we do. And we convince ourselves, when you think about it, that money will solve our problems. But what happens is, is that we discover that we create a whole new set of problems when we pursue excess just simply for excess' sake. And sometimes we also, at this process, burn up our relationships kind of like that candle, and our desire for excess burns and scars everyone involved. And let's be honest, like we, we have to look at ourselves, here we are, we're in a first world country, we have all the blessings thrown at us, and you know, uh, we, we, we want treasure because it actually gives us security. That's why we want it. It gives us security. However, because of this natural process, this fallen world we live in, there's this natural decay, and having treasure leads us uh, to security's opposite. It leads us to anxiety. So in life, uh, and everything in it, by Jesus talks about these graphic images of the moth and, and uh, um, rust and thieves. And the three together represent the insecurity of life lived for accumulation. If we live our life to accumulate stuff, we're insecure. I'll just give you a real, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a policeman when it comes to our facility. Okay? And, and I'm living it out. So when I'm preaching and going through the scriptures, it's like God allows things and opens my eyes. So we had a, a steering committee meeting the other night. And uh, there were three of us in the parking lot. We're talking, and, and you know, we sent one away. Go home to your wife and kids. And uh, so myself and another, uh, Jake, were sort of walking around the building, and we were talking about the building and what we're trying to do, and we've put the, you know, grass seed and fertilizers, not that you care, but to me it's really important because we want to look pretty. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about the facility, and somebody drove into our gate when it was closed, and, you know, 
left pieces of the car there, <laughs> didn't make a claim, duh. So, you know, things like that. You know, so we're walking around, and I notice out of the corner of my eye, there's this van. And the guy comes, and our gate's closed, and he comes, and he drives in there, and you, you, you could tell something's creepy, right? Here's this old van with this extent. It's, it's like Creepmobile. And uh, I'm going, this guy's a crook. He's casing. I can tell he is. And so, he, you know, he's doing that. And then so we continue our walk around. We talk, and we're just finishing things up. And I don't think I even told Jake this story, but the guy, I see the van coming around. I saw it go there, and all of a sudden it's coming down Chevrolet, and it starts slowing down. And it slows down by that property there, and it just creeps right across our property. I think this guy's going to break in. This guy, and of course, I'm a security guy now, right? I put on my, my cop, my, you know, cop wannabe. The, I had to turn down the police force. They kept begging me all the time. I said no. <laughs> and uh, they need my skills. So, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I could tell this guy's up to no good. And so he sort of cruises, and I get in my car, and I go, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go home. But I wait, and I'm watching, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I can tell he's slowing down because his brake lights are on, and he's going, going, going. So then I pull out of the parking lot, and I see him put on his, and I go really slow, but I'm watching in the rearview mirror, and I see his signal go, and he does a U-turn in the middle of the street. I go, oh, there's something up with this guy. I go, and I park. I park in another parking lot, and I'm watching. And I see his van come back, and I'm thinking, oh, he sees me. And he drives down Chevrolet here. He goes really, really slow. And then he stops right there behind one of the houses. Turns off the lights. So, of course, I pull out of my spot, and I see him, and I look at the plate, and it's an out-of-town plate, and it's a dumpy-looking vehicle. And I drive back into our parking lot, and I see the security company. And I go out, and I talk to the guy. And I say, hey, look, there's a strange creeper van going on there. And we talk about it for a bit, and then he pulls around, and I pull around. And here we are sitting there watching this vehicle. We're waiting to see, and there's no movement. There's no nothing. And I go, well, are you going to do anything? Because <laughs> he's a security guard. I'm not going to get myself shot. So um, <laughs> he goes, well, no, it's on the street. I can't do anything. I said, well, I'll call the cops. So I phone, you know, non-emergency, because it wasn't a 911, 986-6222. Just remember that. Always in your head. And, uh, you know, I phone. They take my details. Of course, I get a little nervous. You know, why do you want my details? I didn't do anything, officer. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, okay, we'll send a car. So I go home. You know, I get home. I was late at night. It was after midnight. By this time, I think 12.30. I, I plug my phone in, and I'm, I'm just trying to unwind a little bit. And all of a sudden, my phone goes off in the house. Right? Run. Answer it. And it's the cops. Hey, Mr. Michalski. Yeah, okay. Well, we're just coming down on the road. Tell us what you saw. And I tell them everything. Okay, thank you. And I, you know, be safe, Mr. Officer. Okay. And uh, they go, and they check. And then my phone rings again about 15 minutes later. And I can swear that these cops think I'm nuts. But they go, uh, yeah, we, we've checked into the van, and uh, he's actually an actor from Circus du Soleil who brought his own vehicle and doesn't want to be paying hotel charges, motel charges, and is basically just living out of his vehicle. You idiots! I go, what did you do? We told him to go park at Walmart. I go... I didn't call them idiots. At this point, it was all through my mind. And so I said, okay, thanks. And I think they hung up on me. But I jump in my car, and I go looking for this guy. I am so worried about this bricks and oh, steel and drywall. I go looking for this guy. I find him on his van. 
He's looking, he opens the window. <laughs> like, who knocks on your window at one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> in Walmart. <laughs> Hi, I'm Pastor Creeper. <laughs> so I say to the guy, um, I need to apologize to you. And he's just looking at me. I go, I'm the guy who called the cops on you. And I want to apologize. And I understand you're looking for a safe place to, to park. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I asked him, I said, how long are you here? He goes, I'm here until July 9th. I said, I have a parking lot that you can use. And uh, I said, why don't you follow me, and we'll just put you there. And so I drove him here. If you see a creeper van, <laughs> don't bug him. His name is Nico. He's really cool. He's texting me today. I won't be in the van on the weekend because I understand, you know. The funny thing is, he goes, what is this place? I go, it's a church. I said, we have showers, you can use our showers, whatever we can do to help you out. You know, I just want to, I felt, I felt so bad. Why? Because I was so consumed with this thing. And I put this over people. And so, yeah, I'm dead serious. If you see a creeper van parked here, just don't, just let him sleep. He doesn't like getting woken up at one in the morning. <laughs> it's what, what we can do. It's how we serve. And, and again, we want treasure because it gives us security and you know, Jesus tells us, you know, our clothes, moths, you know, the moth in nature's corro is nature's corrosion of eating things away. Moths destroy clothing. And so Jesus is using an illustration that everybody gets because in ancient time, even today, unless, you, you know, you use mothballs, a person's clothing makes a statement, right? It's about the way we dress basically communicates our wealth for some, uh, some ideas. And most of the clothing was made of wool and moths. Moths love wool, and it can they can ruin an expensive garment overnight. Jesus is making this clear. Uh, man, when we lived in Victoria, we had to deal with the issue of mold, because it's constantly wet. And I remember one day we went into a closet that had a bunch of stuff, and I remember opening it up, and like there's like things growing on our clothes. So... Like, you're just going, ah. But, you know, you put so much treasure, we spend so much money on this stuff, and it gets eaten away. Rust is the corrosion of time, which is quite interesting. That word rust is literally, literally means that which consumes and eating away. And, you know, he, he, Jesus goes on, so moth and rust destroy. Destroy highlights this idea because it means to disfigure. It means to corrupt. It means to render invisible. And so whether it's by time or whether it's by other forces, uh, you know, the things break apart, things fall apart. Jesus goes on and he says, and he talks about the humanities aspect, the thief, right? To which I thought it was this guy. And thieves are those who would, rather than working for their living, obviously, they intrude and they force their way into homes. They take our property. They take those things which are valuable to us. And the verbs that are being used would, as Jesus is talking presents stress factors that are constant in our, all of our lives. Right? They remind us that in the light of the brevity of life, the shortness of life, the, this constant insecurity we deal with wealth. And Jesus is basically saying, you know, to lay up our treasures on earth is foolish. And it shows a completely wrong orientation. It shows a lack of faith in God. 
So change and decay are all around us, and even if we weren't so blind, they would be a constant reminder to check on the value system. You know, what is driving our lives? What is driving you? Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't uh, remove the desire to accumulate. Hear me very carefully. Instead, all Jesus is doing is redirecting this natural desire that we have. We all have a desire to accumulate. Guys, we like our t-shirts. Matter of fact, gentlemen, we like our underwear. And it doesn't matter how torn they are. They're the most comfortable pair, right? And all the guys said, amen, thank you, because we're proud of our gitch, aren't we? Our wives hate it, but we like it. That's just the way it is, and we accumulate. We don't throw that out. You go through your closets. What do you hold on to? Oh, I'm going to wear that someday because I'm going to lose weight. Right. You know, oh, oh, I don't, I don't think you have any. Remember that vest you had that was like a rabbit vest, all different pieces? Yeah. Do you still have that? No, because I remember I was going through the closet. I think it was in Victoria. I'm going to wear that one day. I'm going, you wear that one day. People are going to think you're homeless. Like, there's no way. You know, I was going to come back in fashion. How many times, you know, ladies, how many, well, it's going to come back. Is it really? Seriously? It may come back in fashion, but you won't. Right? Because we grow. Let's be honest. And so Jesus is addressing this natural desire that we have to accumulate stuff. And so instead of trying to impress people with how we looked, and there's nothing wrong with looking good. Man, I do it every day of my life. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. You know, but Jesus says we need to impress who? We need to impress our Father. And in Matthew 6, one of the main points when we, uh, is our relationship as Christians. When we look at Matthew 6, and it's beautiful and it falls together wonderfully, is our relationship as Christians to our Heavenly Father. And in this chapter alone, Jesus mentions him. He calls him Gesundheit. <laughs> You're going to blow a blood vessel if you keep that one up. I'll give you a little clue how up why I'm on a roll today. Eh? That's like, the poor guys upstairs aren't even following my notes. But if you feel like sneezing, rub your tongue to the roof of your mouth. It goes away. Now all you guys are doing that. Isn't that cool? So he mentions the term father 11 times in this chapter. And it shows the significance, because again, to, to call God, the creator, father, was such a revolutionary idea. We, we addressed that last week. And so 11 times, it shows the significance of our relationship with him. Happy Father's Day. You know, verse 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, 14, 15, 18, 26, 32. Numerous verses there. Our relationship to the Father as his children is the most remarkable and incredible relationship. And we have been bought with a price so that we can be called children of who? God. And so he is our Father. And so Jesus, is, as he's teaching the disciples, he's, he's trying to redirect our thinking to accumulate the rewards and treasures. And again, he doesn't say it's wrong, this accumulation. He doesn't say it's wrong. All he's doing is say redirect it and that we should be storing things that matter to God. And every person has a, a ruling ambition, so to speak, or an investment or a treasure somewhere. What do you treasure? Because we all do. And, and again, Jesus doesn't dispute the matter. 
you know, he doesn't condemn, and this needs to be really clear here because he doesn't condemn us for being wealthy. He doesn't condemn us for being rich. He, he teaches more about the where, what, and the whom of who we are trying to impress. See, it's all about God. And Jesus is warning us about the dangers of having a divided heart when it comes to the things of God and things of the world. You know, hearts, that when we read that in Scripture, it refers to the center of the personality. It, it, it embraces, when we read heart in Scripture, you've got to think about it. It embraces our mind, our emotions, our will. Um, uh, and it simply refers to the whole inner person. You know, it's the seat of affections. It's the emotions. It's the desires. It's our appetites. It's a very inclusive word. So the question this morning is, where are our hearts? Because Christ tells us that wherever our values are, wherever our hearts, and you know, our value system determines what we do with our lives. Our value system determines what we do with our time, our energy, our money, our pursuits, our concerns. And Solomon, when we look in the Old Testament, was a man who God blessed with excess. He was one of the you know, supposedly richest kings ever. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, a lot of Advil. And I can imagine he probably had a very, very large beauty salon built right next to his palace as well. But he had a lot to contend with. If you just think about it, aside from running a kingdom and dealing with so many family issues... And yet Solomon, he has all this stuff, and yet God blesses Solomon with something called extraordinary wisdom. And Solomon said this about all the getting we do in this world. He says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Interesting. You know, Proverbs, Jesus basically puts it in a language, takes that and puts it in a language. He says, where your treasure is, your, your heart will be also. The, the people of Jesus' time are no different than, than you and me. They had their bills to pay. They had to pay their taxes. <laughs> taxes. They had to. They had aspirations of children, right? Their, their kids' future. They, they wanted a new home. Who wouldn't, right? They wanted a two-chariot garage. Like, who wouldn't? You know, our wants are often our own foolish worldly desires. Our wants are often too uh, uh, unnecessary excess. But that's just the way we are. That's the way we're wired. It's, it's not too difficult to think of men and women who have laid up for themselves treasures on earth when we look through the scriptures. And it shows us where their heart truly was. There's a story in the Old Testament that comes to mind. The story of Achan and Joshua. So God instructs the children of Israel to attack Jericho. And in this whole process of doing that, they're to abstain from the accursed things. And they're to bring all the silver, bring all the gold and vessels of bronze and iron back to uh, the, the, the center of the camp to consecrate it to the Lord. It was to be put into the treasury of the Lord to be used in the future. And now as they attack Jericho, one guy decides that he, one guy, one guy in everything, everybody else gets it. He somehow misses it. And he decides to disobey the command from God and he begins to keep for himself a beautiful Babylonian garment that he finds. He finds some silver and he finds some gold and it goes on and you read the story and we see that because of this man's sin, Israel pays a huge punishment and they're defeated in the battle of Ai. 
when they find out that this guy disobeyed God, it, it, it's crazy. This, he's put to death because his heart coveted after these riches instead of honoring God and doing the things that God asked. There was a penalty for it. The rich young ruler, we'll be getting to him in a little while, probably in about 18 years since, you know, the days we're going through Matthew. And uh, he comes to Jesus and he asks a simple question, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus answers him by telling that he needs to obey the commandments. And, it, and the ruler goes, well, which ones do I need to obey? And Jesus says, well, don't murder and don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and let your neighbor as yourself. Interesting, they all deal with people, right? Those aren't the Ten Commandments, but those are the ones that Jesus mentions. And the ruler responds, well, you look at it, I've done all those things. So what do I still lack? And Jesus drops the bomb on this guy, and he says, well, look at go and sell everything what you have and give it to the poor and follow me. So the question is, where is this guy's heart? And you can tell by his reaction, his heart is controlled, obviously, by the wealth and the riches. And, you know, and supposedly this guy has a lot going for him, but he's not willing to let go of these things in order to follow Jesus. He's, he's willing to love his neighbor. He's willing to do all the commands that pertain to his fellow man. But when it comes down to loving the Father and having no other gods before him, commandment number one, not mentioned, he's not willing to let go of his wealth that he obtained on earth in order to gain what he's asking for, which is eternal life. So where's your treasure this morning? So many things come to mind when I think of what Jesus is saying here in these verses that, that begin our passage. We, are you earthly minded? Are you heavenly minded? Like, what does that mean? You know, I'll do stuff and I'll have people go, oh, you know, your, your treasure's in heaven and half of me is going, I don't want it in heaven. I want it now. You know, it's just the way it is. But that's just who we are. Where are we storing our treasures? You know, are we investing into the future of eternity or do you invest just simply in the here and now? Are you enthralled with the temporary versus the permanent? Now, obviously, all these are asking the same thing, but it's very important that we fully actually understand and grasp the thought that Jesus is talking about laying up eternal treasures, things that don't fade away. What are these treasures he's talking about? And the question, you know, how do we lay up these treasures, as he puts it? And the answer is quite simple. It comes by living the way that God has asked us to live and to follow after him in all that we do. You know, for example, loving your neighbor as yourself. If this man has a need for a shirt, you know, what is it? we're supposed to give him extra. You know, not just one, you give him two, right? It being a cheerful giver, right? Uh, honoring God with our marriage. We start, we've already been through all what Jesus has been talking about, guarding our mind against adulterous thoughts in our relationships, sharing the good news of the gospel with those around us. Those are, that's the investment that he's talking about. There's so many things which all narrow down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus goes back to the heart. So where your treasure is, your heart will be also. As I said earlier, one of the Ten Commandments, you'll have no other gods before me, Exodus 23. When we set our hearts on things of this earth and fall into the temptation of being worldly in our ways, we are committing idolatry because we're no longer serving God. Rather, we've put our riches above God and we're serving them and we have become our God and we become our 
life. And Jesus challenges us. He challenges those that he's talking to that day, that crowd, and he's challenging us and them, and he's asking us, where is your treasure? And if your treasure is on earth, if your treasure is the things of the world, your heart will be there as well. And if your heart is focused on the Father and on laying up treasures in heaven, your heart will be there as well. And then Jesus adds this really strange part. He says, your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And so it seems to be a little out of place that this little thing is sort of drummed in there. We don't understand it, but there's actually a whole lot behind the scenes that's going on here. See, the analogy is that the human eye gives light to our body so that we can make careful choices in where and how we walk. And so our spiritual vision is how we walk and what we do with our lives. You know, uh, the statement here that Jesus is talking about is a reference to an ancient saying whereby people would use the phrase, if you have a good eye. And, and really what it meant, it said, if you told somebody that they had a good eye, what you were telling them is that they were generous. Isn't that interesting? So having a good eye means being generous. Having a bad eye meant being stingy. How many of us wear glasses? But that's the concept that Jesus is playing with. And when riches are the focus of our eyes, our vision becomes distorted. And the things that we can see outweigh the eternal that are unseen. We get focused on this other stuff. And we have a spiritual nearsightedness. And so the eye is the pathway through which the the light enters the body. It illuminates what's going on around us. People have said that the eye is the doorway or the window to the soul. Right? It allows colors and sceneries and faces to come to light when we look at them. And Jesus is saying, how's your eyesight? William Barclay says the idea behind this passage is one of childlike simplicity. The eye is regarded as the window by which the light gets into the whole body. The color, the state of a window decide what light gets into a room. If the window is clear, clean, and undistorted, the light will come flooding into the room and will illuminate every corridor of it. If the glass of the window is colored or frosted or distorted, dirty, or obscure, the light will be hindered and the room will not be lit up. So then Jesus says, the light which gets into any man's heart and soul and de- being depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it has to pass. For the eye is the window of the body. That's just a profound thing. It's our eyes. Our eyes are very spiritual. So how is your vision? How is your spiritual vision Another guy said, do you see spiritual things clearly or is your vision of God and his will for your life clouded by spiritual cataracts or nearsightedness brought on by an unhealthy preoccupation with things? I'm convinced that this is true for many Christians, particularly those living in the midst of Western affluence. Have you ever tried somebody else's glasses? Of course you have. And you notice how it affects our visions, right? Well, Sharon and I actually have two sets of frames that are the exact same frames. The only way I can tell the difference between Sharon's glasses and my glasses, other than putting on, is that my wife's glasses are always a mess. You know, there's makeup and fingerprints and stuff. And, and so usually by the time I pick them up, I could realize I got hers. But I remember times, even, even myself, and I shouldn't say this in 
thank goodness you have driving lights built into every vehicle. But do you ever, some of you old people, <clears throat> drive at night and we turn out the car headlights down the highway? You ever do that? It was so black, you know, you can't even see. You let your eyes adjust to where the light is. Totally dangerous, totally stupid. But that's what we did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I'm saying, he goes, you're saying I'm old? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you do things like that, and when the light's not present, it takes a while for you to adjust. And of course, you know, when, when I did stuff like that, we'd get scared immediately, we'd turn the lights back on as to not to die, right? Stupid stuff we did. I can't believe we're still alive. But we can all relate in some way to this parable that the, of the eye that, that Jesus brings to us. It's, if the eye of our heart and our mind is focused on strictly earthly treasures, our vision is going to be blurred and distorted, and we will not be able to rightly distinguish God's will for our life, or we may not be able to see God as clearly as we once did. And so if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what happens in the dark? Well, it's obvious. We stumble, right? Uh, we, we go around the room trying to not to trip or fall, or we stub our toe, which we all know what that is like. And when our eyes are focused on the things of the world, they're bad. The, our bodies are full of darkness. We have difficult time actually even seeing truth, if I can put it that far. Our eyes of our heart, our mind, are, they need to be focused on our Heavenly Father. Then we'll be in right standing with Him. We'll be able to see clearly, to know what He is asking of us at any given point in time. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. So I ask you again, how is your vision? What are your eyes focused on? Oscar Wilde, he said, nowadays, people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. If our vision is clear, it means then that we're single-minded, we're fixed on eternal or heavenly treasure, and then the whole of our lives will be full of light, full of insight, we'll have the ability, we'll have the wisdom, we'll have the desires and the will to make very wise choices in life. Sometimes those wise choices deal with how we handle our material wealth, our finances. And whether or not God has blessed us to, to make money, to, to, to give away to his work, or he's blessed us to set up ourselves so that the day comes when we leave this earth, that our kids or other people are looked after, he gives us wisdom. Again, he, it's not a, a speaking against wealth. We have to understand that. It's the understanding that what is our focus? But if our vision is evil, it means that we'll either have a false vision or a double vision. And, and you can't really mix the vision of, the heaven, of heaven and the world together. Because our lives then are clouded. It's like the, that, that window that is frosty. And it, our hearts are flooded with darkness at that point. And so when our eyes are clouded, we're going to be going in the wrong direction. And God, Jesus is saying, look, get your eyes on the Father. And he's teaching us that a man's spiritual insight and his focus will determine their goals. And that our goals will determine our course of life. The end to which people press always determines the character of their lives. It's one step at a time that we build. If we pursue what is earthly, if we pursue what is corrupt and transit, transitory, our conduct in life will never manifest a righteousness pleasing to God. We want it instantaneously. Look, look what I did. Look what I did. No, you're not a dog. It's one step at a time. And when we have a, vis 
a biblical vision or the perspective of faith. We need a personal renewal and reevaluation concerning who we are and why we're here. We need to look inside of us, ask the hard questions, and this allows us to, de- to develop a new horizon with new goals and new purposes. This is change. This is sanctification. This is what the scripture calls sanctification. Getting our eyes off our feet and putting our eyes on heaven and saying, okay, God, what are you doing? What have you blessed me with? What are you guiding me with? What is it you want me to do? And sometimes we miss that. You know, we need a biblical vision. We do. Now we come to a very powerful point in the passage here. In fact, this verse, I I would say, is almost the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. And it asks the all-important question, who are you serving? And, and people often think, you know, we can handle the best of both worlds, you know, both here on earth serving ourselves with riches and living it up, and then later down the road in the future, right, we'll, we'll be in heaven. But this passage, Jesus states, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God, and mammon is one translation, or God, and be enslaved to money. And so Jesus now is is redirecting our thoughts. He's trying to help us distinguish what is good, better, and best about our lives, living our lives in this fallen world. And he says to us, nobody can serve two masters. It's almost like a spiritual schizophrenia or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of thing here. You know, have you ever tried serving two people? Do you have two bosses? Some people have two bosses, and those two bosses are telling you to do two very different things. You know, that's going to stretch you in ways that are not very comfortable. And Jesus says that we are either going to hate one or hold on to the other, or we're going to hold on to one and despise the other. And so when it comes to money, it's interesting. He says it very clearly. We cannot serve money or, or God. You know, mammon, again, is that u- word that's used here. And I need to say that there's no sinister connotation to the word here. It just simply means property in Aramaic. But the inference of this verse is that mammon is an idol. So you can't find God in what you really want, you know. Uh, you, you, sorry, you, you, you can't find fulfillment in God if re- you really want is, are the things that money offers. And so Jesus continues on. He says, that is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. You know, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Like, this is a slam to us here in our culture. Right? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you, and I love this, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And so Jesus tells us not to worry about anything. He paints a beautiful word picture for us here. He tells us, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. They're provided for. They're cared for by God in a wonderful ways. Even though they are unable to do the, the reaping and the sowing and the work, the birds still sing. The flowers give up that beautiful fragrance. And even though they're, they're far more insignificant to our Heavenly Father than us, it, it's, it's just beautiful. It's such a beautiful word of encouragement to read that passage and to think about it. And here I am, that it's you are valuable to him. Friday night was grad. Friday night was grad. Yes. <laughs> this place was set up 
in such a wonderful decoration. Um, this was all changed. If you go to my Facebook, you'll see that. This is wonderful. And shout out to Jordan and all the parental volunteers and all your youth worker volunteers who not only put it all up but tore it down for the next morning. But I need to make a comment about grad. And we had 17 people that we featured and that we honored that were absolutely fantastic in this whole process. And I sat back and, and began to watch the videos and, and the youth leaders just saying words of encouragement and, and blessing upon these different graduates. And then we had Laurel and Hardy, otherwise known as uh, uh, the valedictorians. They got up and they began to go down the line and pay tribute and homage and blessing to our graduates. And I'm looking at some of these kids now adults soon to be paying taxes. <laughs> the NDP government will thank you for that one for years. But watching tears in their eyes as their classmates pay tribute to something special about them. And we sat there and we, we said, look at the value. Look at these words of uplifting. And, and, I'm, and I'm going through this and... I'm looking at that aren't you far more valuable to him than they are. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, are valuable to God. And sometimes we don't think so, but we are. It's here. And Jesus tells us not to worry about anything in this process. And then he goes, why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, right? We throw them out. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Isn't that us? You know, and not even Solomon in all of his splendor is as beautiful as these flowers. You ever go to Costco and see all those flowers? Like, they're, they're gorgeous. Come on. Just absolutely gorgeous. You know, if God takes such care and attention just to feed the birds, to dress the flowers, how much more will, is he concerned about you and I? And we have no reason to worry about chasing after the things of the world. When we have a father, when we think about it, and you look at our society, who actually provides everything we need. And God causes the trees, what? To produce fruit in the ground, to produce food. He's given us rivers and streams to drink from. He has covered us with the arms of those who loves us. And everything we really need has already been provided for by him. And yet when you look at our culture, when we look at ourselves, we're not content with having our needs satisfied. We want our wants satisfied. And that's the difference. And as the world multiplies those, those wants again and again to pull us away from what God has provided so that we are no longer content in just having our needs met, we go into debt to have our wants met, right? Now remember who's listening to Jesus as he's talking. Yeah, the disciples are there, but the Pharisees are there as well. And Jesus is already going at the Pharisees. He loves this. 
And he's repeatedly rebuked them uh, for the prominence they gave to material wealth. That's the culture, again, that they're there. The Pharisees were characterized not only by their hypocrisy, but they were also characterized by their greed. Jesus is nailing them right where it counts. He's hitting their hearts. He's hitting their purses. And, and to the Pharisees, this concept of material blessing was a sign of righteousness and God's blessing. So if you were wealthy, you had God's blessing. You were a good person, and God blessed you that way. They built this system in which they sought to enrich themselves by doing the things the law demanded. So the Pharisees, they gave to the poor, right? We, we covered that. They prayed incessantly. They fasted twice a week. They did this to obtain, their goal was to get material prosperity from God. They wanted to so-called bind God to pour out blessing on them because of their righteousness. God, I'm doing good. You must bless me. And the Pharisees misapplied numerous scriptures to convey their concept towards material possession. And so the acquisition of, of material wealth became the greatest goal in the life of the Pharisee. It was a sure sign of their righteousness that they had now satisfied God and that God is now rewarding them by pouring material blessing upon them. And yet their own scriptures, Solomon, the richest man in the world, thought otherwise. Proverbs 23, don't wear yourselves out to get rich. That is, don't make it a goal of your life to obtain riches. Solomon explained why he had been given this warning. He goes, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. He recognized that a person whose goal was to accumulate material wealth will ultimately stoop to any means to attain that goal. He will defile himself in the sight of God to reach his own ends. If, you know, some people, they, they can be employed and they just make money. They just have this, this gift for whatever reason. Either their business parts or God's blessed them. But others, they want to make money and they'll step all over who they can to get it. Their vision is clouded. And unfortunately, we actually find the, the same perspective today in the church because many, even in Christian churches, many equate material wealth, physical blessing of any kind with the blessing of God for their righteous behavior. But if they face trials or if they have the absence of health or, or you know, financial prosperity, then it's a sign that, look, at, you know, because you're like that, God's angry with you. And for some reason, there's sin in your life or that you don't have enough faith in your life. And we can take a look at in the book of Job and we see Job had the same, his three friends had the same mentality. They were wrong and so was this mentality. And if such were the case, then God was angry with the apostle Paul when you think of it. And we begin to read about Paul's life because of all all the suffering that he went through and all the lack that he had. The Pharisees were externalists. They were selfish. They were stingy. They were blind leaders. They were, they were leading other blind people. They, they brought nobody closer to God. They were failures in their purpose as leaders of Israel. All they cared was about themselves and people who were like-minded. And it was very important in their perspective of life, just as in our society today, is that material wealth is our focus. Our treasures on earth is our focus. And Jesus is saying, you need to redirect that. And materialism is not just a preoccupation preoccupation of on the material world of money and possession it's a philosophy when you look at it it's a philosophy that operates as if God doesn't exist and when we live life materialistically 
Though we may believe in God and claim that we have a relationship with him, we are in essence living as he doesn't exist, without faith in his loving care. And this is why Jesus asked the question, he says, why do you have little faith? How come you're not trusting in God? Why are you burning candles? Why are you so moving hard to try to get your, that little shiny coin? And then he says, so don't worry about these things. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry about what we'll eat, you know, what we will drink. Don't we say, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to drink? I, I don't know. You know, what are we going to wear? You know, Tommy Hilfiger, okay, all right. You know, these things, and it goes on, these things uh, um, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will come with its own worries, right? <laughs> I love this. Today's trouble is enough for one day. I'll get people, so like, you know, can we do this? Look, at, I can't even get past, like, noon. Don't, don't even worry. Like, I can't even get up at 7. Never mind get past noon. Like, you know, we've got enough troubles, right? And there's a side to us that is much more important than the physical, and yet taking care of the body has always been really a common obsession with all of us, right? We pamper our body. We decorate it. We make ourselves look pretty. We exercise it, sometimes not quite as often as I need to. I always look at my weight room. I always think that helps reduce some calories. You know, we try to protect it from the disease to the best of our ability. Pain, we are great at pain avoidance in some cases. You know, we try to slender it. We try to build it up, right? The whole nine yards. And when balanced properly, this is not wrong. But when caring for the physical becomes wrong is when it gets out of balance, when it becomes our purpose for living. You ever see the guys at the gym that all they do is they work up their upper body and they got like two little toothpicks for legs? <laughs> this looks like Sputnik, yeah? you know? Look at a big, huge orange and toothpicks right there. Like we, we do that. We become preoccupied with our bodies. And, and that's an interesting aspect in dealing with people who hang out in gyms. That they become so focused on themselves and looking in the mirror and looking at their calves and, and looking at everything else and how much they can do that the details of life, you know, sort of get fogged up and they're only concerned with food and drink and, you know, spandex. And Jesus says, stop worrying about these things. He doesn't say, don't not, not take care of yourself. He says, stop worrying about these things. You know, stop worrying about tomorrow's problems. Each day has enough for us to kind of walk by faith, trusting God. Our hearts should desire the things of God instead of the things of the world. We need to seek his kingdom first. And that's that famous verse that we come to. We come to. But before we go in the, any further, it starts with this conjunction. And for you Sesame Street fans, what's the song? Conjunction, junction. Oh, yes. All right. So, sorry, that's... We're old. And uh, it, it's a conjunction of contrast. And it, it's this wonderful word, but. But. But seek first. And in contrast to a world without God and its mad search for happiness and the details of life, there's this completely different priority for believers that Jesus is getting our attention. So, but seek that, that the Greek word there means to attempt to do something, to, to endeavor to go about, to inquire, to desire. There's this hunger that uh, it implies diligence, effort, focus, preoccupation with the object. 
You're focused with the object, so seek what? Seek first. Just focus the things of God. And, 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 and if you're into the grammar, it's a continuous present tense, if that will help you at all. It means it, it has to be our goal. It has to be our lives as believers. And by the implication, there's this also warning in this that uh, of the ever-present pull. So we have to seek first. We have to make God our focus. But we're always constantly pulled the other way. We are prone to be distracted, right? Prone to be divided. We are prone to have things draw us away, get our attention off the focus of what God is asking us to seek. But seek first. And this drives home the matter of the highest priority here. When the pursuit of earthly treasures becomes a priority, the moral breakdown in society is never far behind. We see that even more and so now. So what are we supposed to seek? Divine priority consists of two parts, God's kingdom and his righteousness. And they're related and they're deep. The word kingdom means rule, dominion. To seek God's kingdom is, is to seek his sovereign rule, his will, his authority in our lives. It's to promote those things that will produce the same in those around us, the good things. It means to promote, it means to support, it means to work for the edification and growth of believers and evangelism and outreach for those who don't know Jesus. I, I, Pastor Jordan, what I saw at grad and Matthew and Andrew as you talked and blessed our graduates, man, that was seeking his kingdom. That was putting it in action. That was putting it in words. And you just saw and you felt that encouragement and uplifting in a society and a generation that just needs to be uplifted. That needs to be challenged. That needs to know that there's more than just, you know, a house and two cars and a dog. I have a dog, by the way, if you want it. It's, it's yours. Please take it. Had our life group over last night, and the stupid thing jumps up on the table and started eating the... I hate that dog. I keep it for you. It stays alive for your father. That's my father's day. Gift to your dad. The dog lived last night. <laughs> We're also to seek his righteousness. And this, in essence, means a Christ-like behavior. And there's really two things. When, when God is in control of our lives, we will experience his righteousness through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And righteousness is a priority objective rather than the cares of a world which is fixed on its material possessions. What is the right thing to do? You know, remember the principle, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we replace God's righteousness with the desires for physical blessings of the world, um, like position and power and possessions, we lose God's control. We become slaves of mammon. Mammon becomes our God and always results eventually in unrighteousness. And so when our focus is off God and our focus is on stuff and things, it can lead to fraud, it can lead to murder, it can lead to the neglect of the family. How many of us know that, just even in our own lives? It can lead into a loss of concern for others at the expense of just trying to get stuff. So seek first. 
And it's interesting, it's followed by a promise. When we redirect our passion, we redirect our thoughts, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I think this is the promise that God meets the needs of the believers if they trust him, if they put things first. He has promised to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And to do, and I love this, exceeding above all that we can ask or think, but so many times we're so focused on the wrong stuff. And Jesus says, hey, pick your head up, clean off your glasses, clear out your eyes. And take a look in a different way. And you know what? It, it could be that we're going to suffer in this life. We are going to experience uh, hardships and pain for the king, but it's only temporary. This life, I have to keep reminding myself, is only temporary. Ahead are the blessings of a future kingdom. I can't wrap my head around it. I don't think it's that easy for us to wrap my, our heads around it. But we will leave this place. And when we cross over, when we walk off this earthly world, what's waiting for us? And God's calling us as believers to a radical life of service to him. He's our master. And I said it at the beginning of this message. There's a huge importance in realizing that God is our father. And he is our children. God will take care of us and provide all our needs as he sees fit. But the temptation to hold on to earthly things weighs heavy on our hearts. It tempts us to trust our riches instead of our heavenly father. And so in the passages of scriptures that are quoted above, we see an incredible call to serve our father as his children, as his disciples. And listen, the call of the Christian is radical. We are called to give up ourselves completely and to place our complete trust in our Father and we are called to follow him. We are called to deny ourselves. We are called, you know, that, that means we, it's no longer ourself. We don't have any more rights. We are called to take up our cross, which means that we are to take up the same path that Jesus took. Be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. We are called to follow him. We are called to imitate Jesus and all that he did and to follow his example. And Jesus wants all of our heart. He desires that we have an intimate relationship with the Father just as he does. And we can't serve God and we can't serve the riches on earth. It just doesn't work that way. And one is either despised or hated. The other one is either loved or followed. So whichever one you serve is the one that is your master. If it's riches, those riches are your master and they have control over you. If it's the Father, he's your master. And he has control over you. So let me ask you today, who are you serving? What are the certain possessions? And you think about what are the certain possessions or attachments that we might need to let go of because they generate anxiety or fear? What are the areas that we have neglected in our pursuit of our possessions and attachments? What, what do our choices reflect about our value perspective of our possessions. Again, it's not that they're wrong, it's how are we using them in light of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. I'm going to ask we can do Be Thou My Vision. Can we stand and sing that actually? Be Thou My Vision, if I can get the tech team I think that that was a fantastic choice. 
And let's, as we sing, let's just hold on to the words of making God our focus. And maybe you and God need to do some private talk. I encourage you to spend some time today, maybe just by yourself, working it out. But man, I, our generation, our, uh, the millennial generation is, is getting fed up with the acquirement of material stuff. And they're saying, what is the purpose of our lives? And so I speak to our young people. I speak to our graduates. I speak to you sitting in your chair, standing in your chairs. Take a risk in your walk with God. Take a risk in serving God. Take some time. Sit down with your pastors. Sit down with your leaders. Begin to ask the hard questions. What does God really want me to do? You know, I want to get married. That's fine. That's fine. You know, I want to have a family. Fine. I want to have a house. Fine. I want to have a car. Fine. That, that, that's not the issue. What's your focus? Because what does God say? You may seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and what will happen all this other stuff starts coming along it's just not a priority and again he doesn't say there's anything wrong with it he says where are our priorities we have a revolutionary army of young believers in this community and i stand as your pastor and say you guys can change the world and we will stand behind you and we will walk with you Get your focus on what God's going to do for you. The times when we fail to practice what we know, but yet you still love us. You forgive us. You are there to comfort us. You cherish us. You guide us. You love us. And that is so encouraging. We often forget these gifts and we stray far from you, both when the days prove difficult and when we fall into the lure of comfort and contentment. So forgive us. Loving shepherds, seek us when we're lost. Give us grace to love what you teach and a desire what you promise. And all the changes and, and chances of this world, may our hearts be surely fixed where true commitment, true life is found. And I pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In the ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. So go now and take hold of the life that is really life. Shun the eagerness for money, but be rich in good works. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And may God be your refuge and your fortress. And may Jesus Christ free us from all that binds us. May the Holy Spirit provide us with everything for godliness and contentment. And so in the peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace and live the church. Amen. See you next week.